Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. Thank you for today. I thank you, Lord, just for, for this place, for this moment. I pray, Father, right now, Holy Spirit, right now, Lord, you make our hearts attentive to what you're doing right now. Holy Spirit, make our hearts available to you right now. And so I pray right now, again, any distraction, we command you to go in Jesus' name. Go in Jesus' name. I thank you, Father, for hearts that are open and that are tender. I thank you, Lord, that you're speaking. And Father, we are here to hear your word, to listen to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to encourage you this morning. The Lord is speaking. He is speaking. He is living. He's active. He's living. He's active. He's in this, he's in this place. And, and I just want you to prepare your hearts because, to be honest, I'm not even sure what I'm going to preach today. I've got a lot of notes, but I feel like I just, the, the Lord wants to speak directly to hearts today. And he always does, but I, I'm telling you, be prepared. You're going to hear something fresh today that you've never heard before. Like he's going he's gonna to speak something to you in this moment that can transform your life if you're willing to engage with it. I know that I know this is true. Okay. So today I want to talk about the topic of righteousness. And it's... I don't know what you all think when I say that word. Probably some of you are like, yikes, righteousness. But I want to talk about this topic, the righteousness of God. And particularly, I want to talk about it because we are in a season of harvest. And I don't mean the fact that the fall is here. So that is a harvest season, yes. We're not farmers here. We live in New York, and we a lot of us don't even know what plants look like anymore. Um, but... But it's a season for harvest, and what I mean by that is souls coming to know Jesus. What I mean by that is people hearing the word of God and actually responding to it and actually submitting themselves fully to Jesus himself. And so just even, I was sharing this this morning, just even in the midst of the service this morning, I get a text from a friend whose daughter we've been praying for a long time who gave her life to Jesus this weekend. Praise God. It's a season for harvest. Talking about years praying, praying, and, and here's the fruit. And it's right here this morning in our midst. So, so I'm very encouraged by that. And I just want to tell you we should be expectant for what the Lord will do. Don't stop knocking on hearts. Don't stop sharing the gospel with pe- people you've shared it before and they're like, I don't want anything to do with that. Don't think that that's a closed door. No way. In fact, some of the people that you're going to share the gospel with, they're going to be the most agitated people in your life. Like, those people are probably the most primed to hear the gospel. And sometimes the agitation in them is actually the conviction of God that's messing with them. And you take it as they don't like you. But I'm telling you, sometimes they don't because maybe you should be nicer. But (laughs) sometimes there is a conviction of the spirit of God in them. And that's why they're ornery. That's why they're angry. And so don't give up on them. Don't give up. So our heart with this house is to equip you to share the gospel to anybody and everybody who will listen in this city. 
And some of us are real natural at it, and some of us are just not natural, right? We just throw the gospel around, and it's messy, all right? But I want to encourage you, that's okay. You got to start somewhere, all right? And, and here's the reality, right? Each and every one of us have a testimony, have a life, have a, have a experience that needs to be shared because you will connect with certain people. I don't care how skilled you are. I don't care if you're an evangelist or not. You, God's given you a specific storyline, and that storyline is to reach specific people. And so if you don't just bumble around and, and try, to, try to share Jesus with them, no matter how messy it comes out, the Spirit of God will move on that, and your testimony all of a sudden will resonate with the heart of a person. And I don't care how you articulate it. It's just getting it out. It's just showing the love of Jesus. It's simpler than we think it is. Does that make sense? It doesn't take perfect expository, perfect theological delivery. <laughs> all right. So, so righteousness is such a key component of the gospel, and that's why I want to talk about righteousness because if you don't understand righteousness, you don't actually understand the gospel. So Romans 1, we turn to Romans 1. You can turn with it to it. I'm going to read a lot of scripture, but they're prepared on the slide. So turn with your Bible or your phone to Romans 1, verse 16. Romans 1, 16. Here's what it says. This is Paul writing to the believers in, in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, key word, the righteousness of God is revealed. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. If you're hearing the gospel, you're going to hear about the righteousness of God. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. This righteousness is not brought to you by your works. It is brought to you by your faith. Important point, which we'll get to more later. So if we are declaring the gospel, there has to be some understanding of righteousness. So what does righteousness mean? Righteousness, as it's, as it's being spoken about here, means right standing with God. God, God's righteousness means we can come before God and actually relate and connect with a holy, loving, perfect being. It's a high task. You and me, right, and you know yourself, right? If, if you really think about yourself, and I know we're in this whole thing where it's like, everybody, you know, there's like these billboards, like, stay awesome. It's like, okay, great, like, like really, like if you really assess yourself, are you awesome every morning when you get up? Are you awesome to your wife and your kids and all your loved ones? You just get up and like kill it every day. You're just like amazing and full of love and peace and joy. Like seriously, don't stay awesome. Like, like pursue Jesus. Pursue somebody, something outside of yourself that, that's going to that's gonna transform your heart and mind. It's going to allow you to actually be the person you want to be. Don't stay awesome. I can't stand those billboards. I'm serious. It's just, I don't know. Something about it just irks me. I get it's, I guess it's positive. I get it's supposed to be nice. But we need more than a stay awesome message. If you're preaching the gospel and you tell somebody stay awesome, that's not the gospel. Like the gospel is you are bankrupt. You, you, you are corrupted by sin and you cannot stand before God 
without a mediator, without somebody to intercede on your behalf, without somebody to cleanse you of the sin that is that is totally corrupted your, your heart, mind, and soul. That's the urgency of the message. See, when we're born, we're not born into righteousness. We're born into a sinful world. And we actually, we, we were made, how many know, going back to Genesis, we were made in the image of God. I mean, go back and read that today. Genesis 1 and 2, made in the image of God. We were crafted with, the, with God's very hands. You know, the, the animals, he spoke them forth. Men and women, he crafted us with his hands out of the dust. And so we are precious in God's sight. But when Adam and Eve sinned, when they, when, when they took the apple, when they agreed with darkness, we all of a sudden, each of us that has come after them, even though we're made in the image of God, we're now corrupted. I cannot underplay this point because society underplays this point every day. People think, this is mainstream thinking, that humanity can pull ourselves out of the situation we're in. It's nonsense. It's complete nonsense. Humanity cannot just, we can't just fix ourselves. And you and I know it if we're, if we're being honest. Like if we're being honest, we know that we've got issues. Even those of us that have received Christ and are walking with him, we know. And our spouses know. My wife knows that she had, no, that I have issues. We know. And so we've been corrupted by sin and, and that's something we can all relate with. It, uh, Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned. And what? Fallen short of the glory of God. Sin is to miss the mark. It is to not reach the standard of God, which is a high standard because he is a perfect being. So it's not just to, you know, curse your neighbor or like be, um, you know, be a jerk to, you know, whatever. Like, th that's, that's a sin, sure. But when we talk about sin, we're talking about literally missing the mark, not obtaining the righteousness God requires to walk in relationship with him. It's a, it's a big distinction. But sin in, our, in the context of our world is kind of, um, it's a dirty word. Like, it, even in the church sometimes, people don't like to talk about sin. Like, who wants to go hear a message about sin? Like, why is this guy talking to me about sin? Um, but we have to talk about it <laughs> because the problem is if sin is not a part of the conversation, then righteousness is not needed. If there's no issue with sin, if there's no separation between us and God by our sin, then why does Jesus have to come and die on the cross? Then why, why what, then we just preach stay awesome because we're not acknowledging the human condition. And it's a sobering reality and it requires an, it's it, it, sometimes we just get so used to humanism, and that's really what I'm challenging this morning, this afternoon, that this concept of human, we get so used to this idea that everything revolves around us, and we're okay, and it's about our efforts and our actions and us doing the best we can, that we forget the situation that humanity is truly in, and it is a, it's a damning situation, but the blood of Christ speaks a better word. But the blood of Christ provides an outlet, provides a way, a place for us to receive righteousness that we cannot possess on our own. We have to keep this central. 
I actually believe we're afraid to talk about sin sometimes with people. We just want to say, God, Jesus loves you. God bless you. And we miss our chance to actually let them grapple with the reality that they need God. I'm trying to do this in my own microcosm of my family. So I have three children, seven, five, and two, all girls. And we try to talk about these things. We try to talk, we, we talk about just the sin in the world and even exposing them to the, even human history and the challenges of human history just so that they know there is a problem. It's not all, I don't want them to live in some bubble where they think everything's okay and, and they're not being challenged by the sin in the world and the sin in their heart. So hear me out. When I talk about sin today and I talk about these things, please don't say, oh, those people, those terrible sinners. Like, let's look a little deeper. Let's look a little closer. Let's look at ourselves, all right? Because if you say that, you just basically, you're going to miss the whole message. You're going to miss what the Holy Spirit wants to do in you. So with my daughters, you know, we've been talking about world history. We talk about, you know, all these different figures. And I took them, actually, Vanessa and I took them to James Madison's house because we've been doing, we're homeschooling, doing this whole history tour. So we went to James Madison's house in Virginia. And we're, like, reading the different things about James Madison. And they're like, they're like, hey, this dude has, like, got a lot of problems. Like, my daughter's starting to figure this out. They're like, wait a minute. He's got slaves? Okay, like, that's not all right. And they're like, wait, he farms tobacco? He, like, distributes tobacco? Like, what? This guy is not okay. And so they're like, why in the world is there this museum and all these people celebrating this dude? Like, this guy's messed up. <laughs> like, that's what my kids are processing out loud. And I'm like, you're right. James Madison had a lot of problems. Um, and guess what? So do each and every one of us. And so I could take that moment and I could shame James Madison and say, James Madison is a yada, 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 yada. And some of that might be true. Or I could take that moment and use it to explain the human condition and to explain that James Madison was totally, I'm throwing, I'm throwing James under the bus this morning. Um, he was missing it. He was, he was a sinner. And, uh, and he, needs, and he needs grace, and we're not, we're not celebrating the things he got wrong, but we're, we're here to understand history, understand what happened. And understanding our history, we understand that we've been corrupted by sin and that we need a savior to solve this problem that we now live in. And James lived in it too. God bless you, James. I hope, I hope you're with Jesus. I don't really know anything more about James but than that. <laughs> so secular humanism. I want to get to this point a bit. Secular humanism. So this is a real challenge that I want to dissect a little bit because it is everywhere. It's prevalent in so many of the things that we see and do. It's prevalent in the church. This concept of secular humanism came into the church during the Renaissance era. And essentially what they said, and the thinkers at that time, they, they basically said, we are going to change the centerpiece of society, the centerpiece of, of existence. And instead of having God in the center, instead of saying God is the one who made mankind, God is the one who is in charge of all things and the one that we are accountable to and the one who's going to heal and restore all things and solve the problem of sin. Instead of saying that, we actually are going to get excited about humanity. We're going to get excited about humans' capacity to, to uh, innovation and ingenuity and to change the world. Those taglines are like every corporate you know, website you see. We're going to change the world. And there's nothing wrong with that tagline. But at the heart of a lot of these thought patterns are humanistic worldviews that say people are the ones that are going to really change things, not God. 
people are the one, if they work hard enough, if they look inside themselves and understand their fullest potential, they will change the world. That, my friends, is complete nonsense. If a human being without Jesus looks inside themselves, they're going to find sin and corruption and pain. They're not going to find a transformative reality that shifts cultures, institutions, and nations. But God is the source of life, and God is the, is the solution to the sin and corruption that every human being deals with, every single one. And so secular humanism, I'll just give you like um, a few things about it that I think are, are challenging, right? It's, it produces a culture, not of God-righteousness, but of self-righteousness. How many of y'all seen a culture of self-righteousness right now all over society? Like, how many of you feel shamed by your neighbors? <laughs> and the reason they shame you is because probably they're operating from a self-righteous position, all right? Self, so self-righteousness, it says it's up to me in order to do the good things in the earth. And because it's up to me, I'm going to naturally compare myself to everybody else because I got no benchmark, I got no cell, I, I've got no ability to know if I'm good or bad, except am I better than you? Am I better than you, am I better than you? And so without God, you begin to compare yourself and try to be better than other people, and so you're gonna tear them down and throw them to pieces and say, oh, this person's this and that person's this, because you just wanna feel good about yourself. You wanna feel like you're good enough maybe to get to heaven. Maybe you've done enough to, to, to be with God. And so some people don't necessarily know that they think that, but that is where secular humanism leads to. It leads to comparison, and it leads to condemnation and shaming of others because you want to feel justified. You want to feel you're the good person and that, therefore, you're deserving of whatever is after this world, in your opinion. Does that make sense? So it's deceptive, and it's also blinding. Self-righteousness is so blinding. Do you all know people that just cannot... They, they, they love themselves so much that they cannot hear or, or hear anything that you tell them. It's almost like, you guys ever been in a bad relationship? Anybody? Yeah, I was like, you guys, come on. You ever been in a bad relationship and all your friends are like, hey, like that girl or that guy, like you need to get out of that. Get out. But you're so infatuated with them that guess what? You're totally blinded. And it's the same way with yourself, to be honest. With, with a self-righteous culture, which we are dealing with in this age, it, you become infatuated with yourself, and you can't see straight. You're blinded, and you're deceived. And so humanism is, is a thing that we, we have to be aware of in the church, and I don't have enough time to keep going into it, but I want to make you aware of it. So I have become a gardener as of late. Um, I, I have a yard now. It's glorious. There's grass in it that sometimes grows. And, um, and so in my journey to be a gardening master, um, I, I, I updated my technology. So I got an app. You can get these apps, and you, they tell you what stuff is. Because I'm seeing stuff pop up all over this garden. I didn't plant this garden. I don't know what half these things are. And so I've got my little app, and I can go click on it, and it, and it gives me a description of what I'm looking at, which is amazing. It's worth every dollar I paid for it. Um, and so I started doing it with people, too, and I was like, what is this? And it was like, pumpkin. I was like, that's not a pumpkin. That's my, my seven-year-old. Um, so it doesn't work for people, in case you want to try the app out. But for plants, it's glorious. 
And so I had all these plants popping up, and I don't know what they are, and I'm trying to discern what's a weed and what is a flower because I don't know what it is. And, and so I'm sitting there, oh, that looks really nice. Like, it's, got, it's very leafy, like it's full. Like, I bet that'll be nice. I take a picture of it. It's like pervasive weed. We'll destroy everything. I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I immediately began to rip these things out of my garden. But I didn't know. It looked nice. Like, it, it said, like, stay awesome. You know, like, I'm just going to not mess with it. But how many of you know my app is the spirit of God in you? It's the spirit of God in you, and you need the spirit of God, and you need the word of God to discern what is true and what is false. Because there are things growing up in, in, in these humanistic ideas that are growing up, they've embedded themselves in our very way of thinking. And I'm talking to myself. I mean, I've had to pray through some crazy stuff that I agreed with because, you know, I thought I could figure it out. I thought humanity would be all right um, with just me and my efforts and all of our friends doing the best we could. But we need God, and we need the Lord to understand what's true. And so when you identify those things, and the body of Christ, we do this corporately. When you come to your friend and you say, hey, like, this is what I'm praying, this is what I'm thinking, and they're like, dude, like, that's humanistic nonsense, let's pray. you got to uproot these ideologies because we want to present a gospel that is pure, that's founded in the word, and that the spirit of God is going to move on that gospel. And so we want to ensure we're not mix, mixing with the ideas of the world. Does that make sense? So don't shame anybody. Don't be like, you're a humanist. Like, cut it out. But let's, let's really work together to ensure that the gospel is true to what the Lord said. Because it is powerful. The gospel is the power to save people's souls. And so it's so important that we... We love truth and that we zero in on what's true and right and good. Does that, does that make sense? Some of you are going to come up after me and be like, give me that plan app. That was amazing. And I will tell you more about it later. But now it's just for my, my sermon analogy. Okay. So going on. So we have this issue with sin, which I've just been talking about. And we need a mediator. We need someone who's going to be able to stand in the gap for us so we can come into the presence of God. So we can be in right relationship with him. So what, what is a mediator? What does it look like? What, is it, what does it feel like? Um, so you guys ever have, when I was a kid growing up, I had, the, there was this thing in elementary school, they called them peer mediators. Did you guys ever have peer mediators? Anybody? Some of you did. Okay. Nice. So it's a terrible idea, in my opinion. <laughs> for an eight-year-old, maybe not for like adults. So we're, we're in uh, at school and basically how it works is Johnny steals my toy. I get mad at Johnny and I, I hit him um, because I want that toy. I'm eight years old. And, and then they send me to the peer mediators. And the peer mediators are my age group. And they're like, hey, Colt, like why'd you hit Johnny? Because he stole my toy. And, and they, they attempt to reconcile two parties that are at odds with each other. But the problem with an eight-year-old is, I'm like, hey, dude, like, you're telling me to stop doing this to Johnny, but the truth is, you stole my toy last month. And in fact, you kept that at your house, and you won't bring back my Ninja Turtle video game. This is a real story, by the way. I just went into something <laughs> real. And Brandon Heron gave it back after I threatened him. This really happened. But anyway, the point is, peer mediation is a terrible idea because you are trying to get a another flawed individual to stand in the gap, to bring reconciliation between you and another party. And so it's wrought with hypocrisy. And just like humanism is, like we are looking for human beings to solve our problems that are flawed and broken. And they cannot play the role of a mediator. 
But there is one who can. There is one righteous who can mediate between us and God and who has the authority and who, ha- and who has lived the life worthy to make us worthy, to make us righteous. Jesus Christ is the one mediator. He, his blood is enough to cover every sin and his blood is enough to connect us in our weakness to a holy, righteous God. It is the greatest miracle on, on the earth. You and I, you think about it, we're talking about God himself. We can, today we prayed and we engaged with the living God. Are you serious? Like, I mean, it's profound. And it's because of the blood of Jesus. It's because we do have a mediator. First Timothy 2, starting at, I'm going to read verse 1. I'm going to read this whole thing because we're a house of prayer. And so this is what we are praying, and this is what we are believing for, for this city right now. 1 Timothy 1, starting uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Or 1 Timothy 2, rather. Chapter, yeah, chapter 2, verse 1. Yeah, I said 2. So 2 again. Um, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for good people. No, for all people. So hear me out. I'm talking about sin. I'm talking about wickedness in the earth. We're praying for all people. Everybody. For kings and those in all in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's why we got to keep the gospel. We got we to understand the gospel in its pure form, because it's the knowledge of the truth for all people to be saved. For there is one God and one mediator between God and, my, and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus. This is our one mediator. This is our one hope. It's it. People in New York think there's many ways to God. I can assure you there is one way. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. He's the only hope that we have. And he saved my soul. And let me tell you, I was, I can relate to all these verses of the wickedness, the destruction in my life. And some of you, you can relate. Don't forget. Don't forget where he brought you from. Don't get too Christianese. Don't, don't lose connection with the broken world, with the 99 or with the one. Don't lose, don't lose it. We have one media, there's one media, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. A mediator, here's the, here's the Greek word. Um, it means, I won't try to pronounce it, but I'll just say what it means. One who intervenes between two, either in order to make or restore peace and friendship or form a compact for ratifying or ratifying a covenant. So Christ is the mediator of the new covenant. He's the return. He's the new Adam. He goes back to the fall of man, which I discussed earlier, and he, and he reconnects our heart to restore us to right relationship. Because Adam and Eve were walking through the garden with the Lord. How many of you know they were enjoying the fellowship of God? And when they sinned, they were kicked out completely. They were naked and ashamed, and they were out of connection, out of communion with the living God. But one man's sin, the Bible says one man's sin brought destruction and death. But one man's 
Righteousness, the one who is righteous, Jesus Christ, brings life and brings fellowship and connection and unity. Christ is the, is, has restored and will restore in entirety our connection with God. The fact that you can feel and connect with him right now, those of you that are believers, is because of what Christ has already done on the cross. And how much more so in the age to come. And if you're in this room and you're like, I don't know what the heck this guy is talking about. I'm telling you, today is your day. Like, you need a savior. Jesus is not here just to be your homeboy, your friend, like the God loves you, bumper sticker, fist bump, you name it. Like, he's here to be your savior. And so if you just know him as a nice guy, a prophet, you do not know him. He's a savior. He, he, he died on the cross, not so it would be a nice story or a metaphor. Like, he died for your very life. I want you to hear me. Jesus died for your life. Jesus died for your life. That you'd be whole, that you would live in this life and in the age to come. I want to close by talking about three truths related to God's righteousness. Three truths. And interestingly enough, sin, you know, the root word I mentioned earlier, the root word means to miss the mark. That's what it means. But righteousness, the root word means straightness. And so if you think about like an arrow, like sin, it's like we totally, you're shooting at that target and you're missing the mark. You can't obtain the glory. You can't obtain the measure that God's asking of you. But righteousness makes a way, makes a way for us back to God. Three truths regarding God's righteousness. Number one, Jesus is the only righteous one. I've already hit on this a bit. Isaiah 53 makes this clear. It says, the righteous one is coming. Um, I'll just read it. Um, verse, uh, verse 10 through, I'll read verse 11. Out of the anguish of his soul, this is the messianic prophecy about Jesus, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, this is a prophetic declaration, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. This was written about Jesus hundreds of years before Jesus came on the scene. Isaiah is prophesying, there will be a righteous one to restore the brokenness of humanity. He'll come and make everything right that's been made wrong by sin. He'll do it, and there's coming a day when the righteous one will bear the sins of the world. He's prophesying this years before its existence. Number one, Jesus is the only righteous one. Number two, you cannot earn righteousness. I know, it's a sad thing. You can't earn it. You cannot. You can, you, you, can be the, you can be the best person in this room. You could be doing better works than any of us here. If you don't have Christ, you don't get God. People hate that. Like, why can't I just work for it? This is New York. Can I come here and work for my salvation? No. You can work for money, but you can't work for salvation. There's only one way to get it, and that's by grace through faith. That's it. And it is, you want to talk, you want to you make, make somebody mad. You want to make a humanist mad. Tell them that, because that feels so limiting and narrow-minded. Well, then call me narrow-minded, because there's only one way. And it's not on our works. We want to work for it so bad. Like, I really feel like if we get this concept, right, that that it's by grace through faith. Like, if we get this concept that 
we're righteous before God, when we receive Jesus, that we are righteous before God, when we get that reality, that we are pure and righteous, that we stand before a holy God, we stand in a, in a white robe, the righteousness of Jesus, when we get that, how much easier is it to live actually righteous, to, to live in a unrighteous acts? Like, it's so much easier when you recognize Jesus already made you righteous. Then go likewise. Go and be righteous. Go and, go and look like him. Go and act like him. We, we work opposite sometimes because we want to work for it. And sometimes I think, like we're praying for faith today, we don't believe that Jesus actually paid for all of our sin, that he actually made us righteous. So when you feel, when you feel messy, when you feel just sin is at your door plaguing you, go to the righteous one. Go to the righteous one. Bring your sin before him. Repent of your sin and receive his forgiveness. Don't go and try to do good. It will only lead you back to yourself. And in yourself, you will find nothing good. But in Christ, you will find all that you need for life and godliness. Everything. You cannot earn righteousness. If you want to look into that, go to Philippians 3, 7 through 9. We do not have a righteousness of our own, but one that comes through faith in Christ. Righteousness that comes through faith in God alone. All right, so number one, Jesus is the only righteous one. Number two, you cannot earn righteousness. Number three, Jesus exchanged his righteousness for our sin. This is good news. This is really good news. Because it's not just like you got off the hook. You actually, once again, you, you get to stand before God in the righteousness of Jesus, not in yours. So you may have done some great stuff today, but I guarantee you, you, you cannot meet the mark today of righteousness. But the life of Jesus, which was fully pure and righteous and perfect, that life is now covering your life. I mean, this is, you guys awake? Like, I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> like, seriously though, like, I think we need to like sit on this. Like, we need to sit on this reality. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin. Jesus was perfect and sinless. That's why he's able to deal with our sin. The only one. He made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Jesus took on all the sin of the world, as Isaiah saw in Isaiah 53 and prophesied, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We get to become the righteousness of God. That's why Christians should be the most joyful people in the world. That's why I don't care what they throw at you in New York and they make, you know, they make fun of you and, you know, these crazy Christians believe in these crazy things. They're narrow-minded. They're, they're, I don't know, whatever they want to call you. We can rejoice. We can rejoice. Let me tell you, this week with the passing of Matthew, there, it felt like there's no reason to rejoice. And I know, I know you guys are feeling it. I'm feeling it. I mean... Certainly Maureen's feeling it more than we all are and, and, and Matthew's entire family. It feels like there's no reason to rejoice when you go through loss and tragedy like that. But even Matthew himself, I mean, we talk about a man that rejoiced. You want to talk about a man who, I mean, he would be, at, he'd be here singing before anybody else even came to church. They'd be here early and he'd be, I'd hear him in the, I'd hear him in the bathroom just raising worship. He'd be over here raising worship. I mean, he had the joy of the Lord. I'm telling you, he didn't get that from himself. He got that because he went to the cross. He went to Jesus and he gave his life to him and you could see the joy in his life. 
And that's why he impacted so many people. And that's, and, and that's why he will leave a legacy on this earth. A man of faith, a man who operated in joy, and that joy is rooted in the reality that he now is in joy. Worship team, could you guys come on up, please? I want to read this first to you. Romans 8, 1 through 4. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made them free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. We're talking about righteousness, how we stand before God. But how many of you know, there's also a, a form of righteousness in the scripture as well, righteous actions, living righteously, right? Which is different than our standing before the Lord. That's very different. But when we are in right standing before the Lord, we get to now walk by the spirit of God and a level of righteousness that the humanist espouse to, we can actually live in without hypocrisy. Well, maybe a little bit of hypocrisy, let's be honest. But with, with a purity of heart that no one can mimic in this earth. Not because we're pure, but because Christ lives in his people. I'm telling you, you wanna talk about a way to share Jesus? Live in the new creation life. Live by the spirit. Live in a sense of righteousness. And the greatest thing is, you can't be a slave to self-righteousness if you're a Christian and you receive Christ. Well, maybe you can, but if you're walking in truth, you cannot. Because your righteousness is not of yourself. <laughs> That's the joke. It's not really a joke, but it's, it's beautiful, right? It's beautiful. God is, he's incredible. Like he's masterful. He knows how to keep the human heart free. And so just when you feel good about all your works and, hey, I'm a, I'm a righteous Christian, wait a minute. I know where I came from. Wait a minute. These righteous acts are not bubbling up out of my ambitious and beautiful heart. It's the spirit of God in me who's changed me. I know who I used to be. And some of you, you know, we still struggle with some of that, that old self. But we're being made new day by day. We're being conformed to the image of God because we're looking at him. My daughter came up to me this morning, actually, and she said, she's looking at her outfit. She's trying to, you know, I have girls, you know, they, they, they look cute. And she's like, Dad, why is there no mirrors at church? Like, I just need a mirror. Fair? But I felt like the Lord really came, came strong on me when she said that. And I fired back. And I was just like, because we're not there to look at ourselves. Fern, we're not there to look at ourselves. And I said to her, in fact, not only are we not here to look at ourselves, when we look at him, we see ourselves rightly. He is our mirror. We are made, we are bearers of the image of God. And when we give ourselves to him, 
Only then can we truly walk in righteousness because we see ourselves as we are and we're not full of ourselves. we're full of him. And we begin to operate and look like him. And the world will know that Jesus is who he said he is. The world will know that he can forgive sins, that he can redeem hearts. Some of you are walking, you're, you're, you're walking, uh, you're, you embody God's redemptive power. And you gotta share. Like you gotta share. You gotta, if you don't, the rocks will cry out. They'll cry out and say, there is a God, his name is Jesus, and his love satisfies and restores my soul. Some of you gotta shout it, you gotta sing it. You don't need crazy salvation stories to have a powerful salvation testimony. You don't. It can be very simple. I was raised in a Christian home. I knew God all my life, and I feel his presence every morning. Enough. That is powerful. You're connected to the living God every morning. There are people that have never experienced that love. They've never heard a word from the Lord. And you hear it every day. God, would you break our heart? God, would you give us the grace to obey, to speak, to love? Could you all stand for me, please? Jesus, we come, for you, we come before you today and we recognize, Lord, we are spiritually bankrupt without you. We have no righteousness of our own. God, even the good things we do cannot obtain the righteousness of God. And so we humble ourselves before you today. And I pray, Father, today for those that have never tasted your goodness that have never felt the purifying love of Jesus, the man who took on their sin, who bore their suffering in his very body. God, I pray you would rend their heart. Lord, I pray, Lord, submit them, that they would submit to you in full and find healing and find safety, find security, find life, find fellowship, connection with the living God. Father, would you stir in us today? Remind us that you're holy. Remind us, Lord, that you made us worthy to stand before you. Remind us, God, that what you've done in us must be shared and that it's the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. Lord, I pray you'd equip your saints today to share the gospel message through their very lives, through the testimony of what you've done in their heart. Some of you today, God's gonna break off just kind of these religious performance mindsets where you think you gotta go out and share the gospel to, you know, because you're a youth pastor or somebody told you to or they, you know, they, they made it about your works and God's saying, no, it's gonna be the overflow of your heart 
that sends you. It's gonna be the it's gonna be the the reality that I've forgiven and restored your soul that sends you to the harvest field. And you're gonna go and declare the word of the Lord, and you're not gonna need to feel his approval. You're not gonna do it to gain anything. Because you're righteous if you've received Jesus. You're holy. By the blood of the lamb, he's cleansed you. Thank you, Lord. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can also follow us on Instagram at LifeCenterNYC or YouTube at LifeCenterChurchNYC.